Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Payne. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Ask me what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with the tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic here with the great Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer, Suns beat writer, Lakers beat writer, occasionally, uh, you know, wears a lot of hats. Give me some Regional. Kings love. Give me some Kings, Kings love. Yes, that's right. We are getting into the Kings today, so I should have led with the Kings. On today's show, Slater and I are going to go around the association up top for about 15 minutes or so, getting into the news, uh, getting into, though, the two top teams in the NBA, Slater. If I would have told you, Coming in, that without Ben Simmons and all the drama around him, the Sixers would be out front in the East. That would shock you. And then if I told you that that squad that you cover more than any other team, the Golden State Warriors, still without Klay Thompson, would be 8-1, and one, Slater? 8-1? and one? What is happening in the Bay? They're playing the Hornets, Thunder twice, Rockets last night, Pelicans, the one and nine Pelicans, pretty much every team. They have had the, uh, you know, strength of schedule wise, a very NFL term. They've had the easiest schedule. Uh, And at home, they're in the middle of an eight game homestand, which is like a tied for a franchise record. But they are doing what you're supposed to do to bad teams. They be, Fair enough. For sure. their, their last four is a 41-point win, a 26-point win, a 25-point win, and a 13-point win. So they look great, and we can get into them. Um, but there's We will. I was going to say before, I don't want to lose any listeners at the top here, the folks who, who do enjoy the Sacramento Kings uh, in my backyard, uh, are going to have a sit-down interview with Kings GM, Monty McNair. And so we're recording this before the interview. I'm looking forward to it. Going to sit down with Monty later today. And, and get into everything, his story a little bit, um, you know, year number two for him on the job, you know, kind of moves he's made, moves he hasn't made, infrastructure stuff within the Kings and, and kind of curious to hear his thoughts on how they operate. So a lot to get into there. Um, but yes, go back to your Warriors. What is happening? Well, with first Steph I was going to go back to no Fred Katz. We didn't even mention he gets the know, heat. Sorry, Freddie. He gets the heat check pod of like, let's talk Knicks, Wizards, top of the East, <laughs> Bulls. All those teams didn't have a very good week. We're, there's a reason we're talking about the Sixers. Uh, you know, those teams are no longer uh, atop the conference. But sorry, Fred. Um, let's Warriors. Uh, yeah, we can start there. Um, they're just 
playing well, first of all their defense is that they have like a 97 defensive rating right now draymond green be i think it's because of the olympics i think it's because there's actually stakes and clay thompson's coming back and there's this idea that they can get back in the race this year and me and you both know like draymond green kind of needs like you know that winning carrot uh to, to keep running on the treadmill um but he has entered the season with some juice and that was a and, visual i literally am now seeing draymond in my mind running after a carrot I'm with sure a little nba championship <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, trophy in front of him. But look, yes. he, he he essentially took I, one season off for sure. The 15 and 50 season, he was in cruise control. The whole franchise was last season. He entered, got COVID early in camp, you know, kind of injured his foot a little bit, um, was just really bad the first couple months. And by the end of the season, he was pretty good. And they ended pretty hot before losing in the play in. But then he went to the summer Olympics, stays in shape, which is a big thing. Uh, enters camp without an injury. He looks fresh. He's flying around. They have a 97 defense defensive rating. I mentioned it to him the other day. I was like, number one defense in the league. First thing he says, so that makes me defensive player of the year, right? Uh, He's not wrong about, I mean, that, you know, that matters in the conversation. And uh, the guy who was number two on the list of, you know, you, you, you had uh, Rudy Gobert up top. You had Ben Simmons, number two, I believe, and Draymond, number three, in the Defensive Player of the Year voting. Am I, is my memory serving me there? Yep, yep. And, you know, obviously Simmons off the table, which we'll discuss in a yes. second. Um, and, you know, Gobert is still being Gobert. Regular season Gobert, he's dominant force. Jazz are seven and three. Jazz that, are 10th in defensive rating at the moment. For yeah, the, that's, for the you know, I'm curious about Gobert's on off. Like, he is still very much in the conversation. But there is this idea is, is Rudy Gobert Defensive Player of the Year wise stepping into a Giannis MVP? situation from a season ago of like you know the playoffs and the fact that they haven't got over the hump does that make voter fatigue like prove it in the playoffs then then we have a clear leader you know out in front of the pack right now with Draymond Green just the way he's looking the way you know the Warriors we thought this summer hurt their defensive personnel to improve the offense and spacing and that like their offense is better it's spaced out Otto Porter last night hit like five threes um you know it is a much better offensive product around Steph Curry. But at the same time, they were fifth in defense. And the concern is, did they sacrifice defense for that? And at least early on, handing uh, the defensive reins over to Mike Brown and and Draymond being uh, kind of the, the on-court engine, it hasn't. I mean, they're pl- it is a soft schedule. They're coming up, they're playing the Hawks tonight, which we should mention, because people are probably listening to this after the Hawks game. But they have a Brooklyn game coming up. Chicago, like, there's some bigger tests where we'll see how real this early season stuff is. But, you know, they're doing this with Clay Thompson still not there probably for another month. Wiseman's coming back. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's they are, uh, just throwing a few more numbers at you. They, they surpassed Miami um, to take the net rating lead. They got a 13 net rating. So yes, softer schedule, but, but it does hold up in terms of, you know, these are not seemingly hollow wins statistically. And as far as the, Breakdown on the squad, obviously number 30 leading the way, uh, coming in again, recording Monday, but 25 points, six and a half boards, 6.2 assists. Um, turnover is a little high. Well, yeah, he's hit. That's the other part about the start. Like Steph Curry has not hit a rhythm yet. Like he yeah. has not been that great. I mean, the 42% last 2% from the field. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not something I'm sitting here like, oh, let's talk about Steph Curry's struggles and how it's a concern. I don't think it's a concern. I think it's just a note like, hey, Steph hasn't hit a, you know, eight threes per game over a seven game stretch type, you know, hot streak. Uh, right. Jordan Poole has been floating the offense at times with Steph off the court. Poole's gone the last three games, 31, 26, 25. 
uh, on really good efficiency after early season struggle. So they got a lot of things going right. But again, I want to see Lee, man, as I know you've talked about yeah. it before, but I love that guy's story. I think I'm, I'm repeating myself, but like, you know, there was just that time not that long ago where Damien felt they needed to remind people in the media that I'm not just Steph Curry's, you know, brother-in-law. Um, and just even as a vibe, like you could just tell this guy was, you know, stressed and finding his way as a young player and not sure if he was going to survive. And then to, to glance at this, you know, stat breakdown of a team that's eight and one and see Damian Lee coming in as the fourth leading scorer is, is pretty impressive on his part. Yeah. I mean, he's almost guaranteed double digits off the bench. Um, and you know, we talk about the way they constructed this roster with players that know how to play around Steph Curry. He does. Uh, he moves well. He knows when to relocate and down screen and all the, the stuff they do. And he is, for the Warriors, one of, at this point, like three, four, like big time G League success stories. You know, this is a guy who spent a ton of time uh, in the G League and and, and the Warriors uh, have shuffled him onto the roster and he's, you know, he was on a two way the last couple of years and then he finally got the full contract last season and he's turned into a big success. Juan Toscano Anderson was last season's version of that, right? The Oakland kid, uh, you know, explodes enough to get a guaranteed contract and fits in their rotation. And now they're having another one this year, Gary Payton the second with Gary right. Payton in the stands his father in the stands last night a third straight big game and you know they got him you know from the G League and then he had a, he was on the podium last night telling people hey maybe watch the G League there are a lot of these type of players uh, kind of ready for their opportunity and and they're, they're basically using him as like a lob threat center he's averaging I think the most steals per 36 minutes in the league they got a lot of like Good stuff going on right now. Quick story before we pivot to Philly, because I know he's a loyal listener and I, and I love him to death. My nephew, Travis Chubb. Trav, what's up, bud? Love you. Um, went to Oregon State and is very excited about the Gary Payton II emergence and technically was classmates with Gary. And he texted me the other day and, and said how uh, apparently when when GP Sr. would come to town, they would have breakfast, father and son, at a place in Corvallis. And, uh, and and Travis and some of his buddies would accidentally wander by to get a glimpse of of the legend of, of GP, the glove, but now the mitten doing very good things. So another very he, cool story. He says young glove is his preference. He doesn't like mitten? No. It's not very manly. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a defensive stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you with my mitten. All right. Philly is wild, man. We're not going to do the deep dive on Simmons, although certainly should read the latest from Sham Sharania. On our website about the Simmons situation, they are, <clears throat> excuse me, continuing to navigate the mental health component of his absence. You know, do we find him? Do we not find him? But trade-wise, nothing doing right now. Some mention of conversation with Boston about Jalen Brown potentially. So keep an eye on that. But as far as you know, the Sixers without him, um, this is wild. You know, they're at the top of the East. They have got the best offense in the NBA, and that's with Tobias Harris missing four games and recently was put into COVID protocol. Um, the other Curry, we should stop calling him that, and I shouldn't even have said that. Seth Curry is having himself talking, a career year. We're talking other Currys, Curry brother-in-law. Yeah, these guys are having good seasons. Seth they Curry are. and Damian Lee. But uh, Seth yeah. might need to get a few more up from long range. You know what I mean? 50% on 52 threes per game 17 per game to this point i think that would be a career high i don't have it in front of me but Joel Embiid playing really well but it's not you know if i would have told you slater that hey the sixers are surviving without ben and thriving what would you probably think that, that Joel Embiid was in beast mode he was out there like a modern day shack and that's not necessarily how they're functioning he's giving them 21 and, and nine and a half with four assists 
but not even shooting all that well himself. I mean, for a big to be at 43% from the field is, is not great, um, but they are deep. Tyrese Maxey filling Simmons' spot, obviously, and 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 uh, just playing really good ball so far. What are you thinking there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the marginal moves have worked out well. I mean, you mentioned the Seth Curry for Josh Richardson swap. I mean, how good does that look in retrospect? Um, you know, George Niang, I know, is playing pretty well for them. That's kind of like, you know, an under-the-radar offseason signing. I think he really fits well next to Embiid at times. Um, Maxi, great draft pick. What did they get Maxi at? It was like, you know, in the, I believe in the 20s. Um, right. Yeah, so, I mean, they... What's crazy ha- about their profile, I wrote this last week, and, and it is still held up. With Simmons last year, you had the best defense in the NBA, and then you had about a 13th rated offense, I believe. And it's wild how it just flipped. They're now they're down to 16th in defense, uh, but best offense. So, you know, you got Ben with his playmaking skill set, which conceivably... You know they would be missing that at the moment, but but that has not been the case. So offensively, they're just fine without Ben Simmons, and and you certainly see the impact defensively of him not being there. Space, space matters so much in this league. Um, you know, both of these teams we're talking about at the top of each conference. The Warriors just added so much spacing this year that was such a priority, and you can just see it on the court. And the reason why a Gary Payton can get down the lane for lob threats is because all the defense is just spread wide open. And you know, you think about it theoretically, like what would you want to do if you were building a team around Joel Embiid? You'd want to space the floor around him. Um, and with that, without Ben Simmons, you can make a lot more lineups that can just consistently space the floor around him. And I think that leads, you know, to through 10 games, a top offense. It's not a terrific look for Ben Simmons. And maybe we should get a little bit into that. But, you know, as we talked about leverage points early this season and the seesaw of like what Maury's trying to do, what Simmons camp's trying to do, what the league wants to do and try to get, you know, Simmons on the low. Well, Philly at eight and two, Philly with the top offense in the league, I think can sit back and be as patient as they want to be up until the trade deadline with the Simmons situation. Um, and, you know, Simmons himself, it's probably sitting there like, why are they eight and two with that? Right. Why do they right, have, right, you know, right. I asked a GM about this yesterday and kind of the question of how does this impact Daryl Morey's calculus? Right. And you can look at it one of two ways. And so one the answer essentially was that if you're eight and two as an executive, you're going to be tempted to say, man, let's, let's find something here because if we could add a good piece, you could take this thing to the next level. But I do think it affords you patience and, and that's great for him. Uh, you know, I don't know if this Jalen thing will develop or not, but they, you know, they don't have to, if it was two and eight, then Ben's getting his way and they're probably having to pull the trigger on something. Well, not only that, I mean, we know what what has mattered so much within this whole conversation. It's like the Philly media, the local on the ground vibe around the team. And, right. um, you know, that's really in a lot of ways what I think pushed Ben Simmons away was just like the rhetoric in Philadelphia around him. Well, we thought early this season, you know, in training camp, like, you know, will, will this entire franchise ownership, front office coaching players, will they be able to handle this just tidal wave of Simmons, 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 Simmons? And if they started, you know, three and seven, that probably would be like, got to make the trade. You know, it's a disaster. Well, they're eight and two. I can imagine I'm not in Philadelphia, although I will be in about a month. Um, I can imagine that it's just it's pretty probably pretty positive around there. And people are probably talking about some of the on-court product and how good it looks and and this offense. So that, you know, again, it's like, you know. I think part of Daryl's play was hoping that this would happen. And I do think this, as we kind of take daily stock of this, I think it's trending better in a Maury Sixers direction than a Simmons or rest of the league trying to get Simmons direction. Right. I agree. All right. Last but certainly not least in, in the meat of today, uh, this week's pod that, uh, again, I'm looking very much forward to sharing the conversation with Monty McNair. 
the Kings are interesting. And, you know, I went to their Pacers game on Sunday and you're sitting there kind of going, all right, at that time they're five and four. And I was in my head figuring out like, well, if they're able to knock off the Pacers and then beat Phoenix on Monday night, by the time, you know, we, uh, we do the pod, they could be seven and four, but it went the other way. They're five and five now. And, and we'll see what happens in the Suns game on Monday night, but they they're competitive every time out. They've had some fourth quarter execution issues. You can tell that from a personality standpoint, they continue to figure out who's going to have the ball win in key moments between Tyrese Halliburton. Darren Fox has really struggled. Um, you know, Harrison Barnes played really well. Rashawn Holmes, just a huge key re-signing for them in the summer. But as far as Monty, it's been fascinating to see the way he's handled the roster where he has somewhat slow plated. He has passed on a lot of different opportunities that you might call potentially bigger swings. And we Simmons. obviously never know. Yeah, Simmons is one. And and with a tie in the front offices there because he worked under Daryl Morey in Houston for so many years. But the Simmons thing has not materialized. No indication that they are looking at that at all right now. They like this team and they want to see, you know, Halliburton had a lot of justified hype last year, was in the rookie of the year conversation. The question then was how can he mesh with De'Aaron Fox, you know, their max guy in the middle. And the drafting of Davion Mitchell um, surprised a lot of folks, but I think you've seen a lot of good moments from him in the way that he's impacted their culture. But he's also struggling, you know, most of the time on the offensive end, struggling to find his way to have a consistent impact. Um, but he's done some really good things and and slowly seems to have them getting more competitive as they try to get that that playoff streak off their back going back to 2006, very, very long time ago. Yeah, I, I like a lot of stuff going on within their roster. I mean, Harrison Barnes is like quietly made leap, 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 leap the last you know few years uh, to the point that like you know he's either properly paid or, or maybe even underpaid the way he's right. playing. Um, Buddy Heald, after the the will they trade him, won't they trade him? Summer is like you know a top, near the top of the league and made threes um, and has. I think been serviceable defensively and you know, he was such an issue within their worst defense. His care factor, man, has really seemingly gone up. I know it's hard. There's no metric for that, but you just watching him in the eyeball test, he, he, he has added more to his game this year. And, and, and that's something I'll get into with Monty his conversations they've had, but he seems to be in a better place still coming off the bench, which he, you know, kind of bristled at before and doesn't seem to be now. They had a win over the Suns where, um, he like Buddy Heald made a really good defensive play on on Booker, um, you know, late in the game. He like just yep. guarded him. Well, I thought that was interesting. But uh, you know, you mentioned I think the draft picks of Halliburton and Mitchell, uh, and I've talked to people around the league about this. It just like infused more of a winning attitude. I mean, those are just two players are like like winning basketball players. They make like marginal winning plays within a game, and I think that's like shifting. Uh, the attitude of the team in general and, and, and the fact that those are the two young guys, I think it, it, it could usher in an, a different type of era for Kings. But if we're talking about the moment right now, the moment is like, what's going on with De'Aaron Fox? The max player, the supposed best player uh, on the team. I'm looking at his shooting splits right now. 39% overall, 18% from three. And then not only is he 69% from the line, which isn't much worse than, than he had been. I mean, last year he's 47 overall, 32% from three. So that's big drop in those two. He's barely gone down percentage-wise free throw-wise, but he's only taken 4.9 free throws a game. Last year he was taking 7.2. He was like top 10 in the league in free throw attempts. So it's just not getting to the line as much, not finishing at the rim as well, not shooting at all. Um, and 
you know, I, not maybe getting by guys that I'm stealing. You know, John Hollinger, our esteemed friend and colleague, is actually in Sacramento right now. He was at the game last night, and and I don't think John would mind me sharing this. Like he just watching De'Aaron was like, man, he's just not getting to the rim like he did last year. And you know, I don't know. You always speculate that all right, he did hit the gym a lot this summer. In fact, when the Kings games tip off, they've got kind of this like Arnold Schwarzenegger style video pump up thing happening on the jumbotron where it's all the guys in the weight room and you see De'Aaron you know, all swole and flexing. And so, you you know, who knows? Did he add a few more pounds than he should have? Is there anything else going on? The quickness, you know, doesn't seem to be, um, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog style like it used to be. But yeah, he's struggling for sure. Yeah. And that, you know, that matters. Uh, even though, I, uh, again, I think me and you would both agree, like things for the Kings are trending in a positive direction. Uh, yeah. I, at this point, I believe they're going to be among the, the top 10 teams that, you know, get into the, you know, postseason essentially. Now I think that's play in range. You know, I think they're probably going to be somewhere in like eight, nine, ten range. But right. that's better than they've been in a long time to to at least have a one game uh, playing. Especially because you know you look below them. I think the the Thunder is going to be worse. Obviously, the Rockets are going one and nine right now are going to be worse. The Pelicans are just had a terrible start of the season. The Spurs are three and seven. Lost to the Thunder yesterday. Um, the Wolves are sitting at three and five. The Blazers don't have a lot of you know positive vibes necessarily at five and five. Like they're are you can i think find five teams below them so that's just like the the king should be feeling good about that and but at the same time yeah like solving fox getting fox somewhere back to the level that he was last year could really turn this into i think a very positive season but it has to be done first no i agree and uh and we'll get to that conversation now i think one of my favorite parts that we're going to get into is that monty and i told him this yesterday he still remains mostly a mystery man i think even to nba folks they they all, all they know is he worked for the Rockets and, and may, might know that he went to Princeton. So we're going to go a little bit deeper than that. So here is that conversation. Slater, thank you, brother. Good seeing you. And we should have Mr. Katz back next week. And, uh, and here's the conversation with Kings GM, Monty McNair. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker dealer. 
All right. So we are here inside the Kings practice facility slash arena slash Golden One Center. I'm staring at the one and only Monty McNair from behind the curtain, behind the scenes, second year Kings GM. Monty, we were just talking offline that for some reason, as we were scheduling this interview, I, I temporarily forgot that I lived 20 minutes down the road. We were going to do a Zoom call. We were going to keep it informal. But man, we, why not do it in person? Why not look each other in the eye and, and chop it up a little bit? What's up, man? How are you? How you doing, Sam? Yeah, last year after not being able to see anybody in yeah. person, let's, <laughs> let's take advantage while we can. I'm excited. 100%. In fact, it's. I'm glad you mentioned that. We have had coffee as we kind of came out, and we're certainly not out of the pandemic, but as we started getting back to normal a little bit, you were one of the first people outside of my family that I connected with. And and I can't tell you, beyond the Kings, be, uh, league-wide, with this job, Monty just and I'm repeating myself to you, like just getting to talk to people again is a breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, the idea of constantly texting or calling folks to get insight or just information or just to talk is not the same as, you know, last night you guys played the Pacers and we chopped it up on the court for 25 minutes. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's yeah. kind of what we do. No, it's, uh, I felt like, especially over the summer, we got to go to the combine and see really the rest of the league. Right. And then as we've gotten into summer league and now, you know, the season with, with fans and, and media and uh, everybody back in the building, it's definitely feeling at least a little bit like sure. return to normal. So it's been fun. Well, let's start real quick on the, on the life personal side. I mean, you are now a, uh, a, let's see, a September of 2020 is when you got hired. So you're about a year and a half into your Sacramento Tenure. How's the family doing? I think you had not to get into your business too much. I, I think you're comfortable sharing. You had a new addition. Yeah. Um, just how's the, the area treating you? Yeah, it's been great. We uh, um, we had our third uh, child um, nine days before the trade deadline last year. Good uh, timing, man. Good great timing. timing. Yeah. My, yeah. My, first, uh, my first one was born nine days before the draft, so... I have impeccable timing. <laughs> um, my wife, uh, Katie, is amazing. And, uh, you know, she was in, in Houston uh, for the first couple months uh, with three kids in the middle of a pandemic by herself while I was here trying to get my first draft right. and free agency under under our belts. But uh, we got everybody out in January of last year, um, found a place and uh, welcomed our third one. Uh, to the crew and uh, congrats and again. We love the area. You know, I'm from Southern California, so to be back in the states been yep. a lot of fun and uh, enjoy the weather. And uh, we really love the city. Um, you know, everybody who lives here, like yourself, talks about how underrated it is, and it's uh, it's we found that to be true. And now we're starting to be able to explore a little more, right? Um, you know, around the city, it's been a lot of fun. For sure. So we're going to talk hoop, obviously, uh, as we sit here chatting and, and this will run on Tuesday. So you got the Suns tonight. You're five and five. Uh, dropped a tough one of to the Pacers. But before we talk all things Kings and we're going to get into, you know, the, the good, the bad, everything in between. Um, as I went into this conversation, it really kind of struck me. And I'm a sucker for the human interest side of covering this league. It, it struck me that you, in my opinion, remain a bit of a mystery man to if nothing else, like maybe not to the hardcore Kings fan, but I think for sure to the casual fan and even to the hardcore folks, whenever people talk about Monty McNair, the narrative, so to speak, doesn't really go much farther than, oh, the guy who worked for the Rockets. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just this, we know that you had, you ascended within the Rockets organization, did some very good things and landed in Sacramento. But let's broaden the scope a little bit. You mentioned growing up in, in Southern California. Oak Park, uh, west of downtown LA, 
the locals certainly have learned that you are a, a Dodger fan, so you're not you're not making any fans there with with the locals. But the thing, you know, what what strikes me about your profile is that uh, you know back when we were in grade school, you put kids in in certain boxes, right? It's the jocks and it's the geeks, and it's and that's not the way it should be, but it often is. And and you're this guy who played sports, you know, ends up becoming a uh, computer science major at Princeton. You know, you got the both sides of the coin, but give us a little more there. You're growing up in Oak Park from a sports standpoint, you know, what were you into the most? Uh, you know, football is the only part that I'm aware of. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I probably grew up more. I would categorize myself as a jock growing up. Okay. Played, um, played three sports in high school, football, basketball, and baseball. Um, Which high school are we talking this is Oak Park High School, okay. um, which is uh, just in Ventura County, just yeah, just kind of northwest of of LA, and um, went on to play football in college at Princeton, yep. as you mentioned. Um, Don't like, take it personal. I think you still might be the second most uh, locally favorite, you know, favorite Princeton guy. Pete Carrill might still have that. Uh, yeah, I think I think Coach Carrill deserves yeah, yeah. that for yes. for all he's done, and yeah. uh, and obviously Jeff, you know, Jeff Petrie. Of course, yeah. Um, oh boy, Jeff's going to hear this and, and yeah. give him. Yeah, I somehow overlook <laughs> Jeff there. Sorry, Jeff. Um, but uh, you know, I always tell people, um, you know, being a dumb teenager, I wanted to play football at the best football school I could, and. I'm lucky that I was not a little bit better or a little bit worse because uh, Princeton ended up being the best football I could play. It's, you know, solid, but one double A and uh, obviously going there opened up a lot of doors and, and ultimately got me into to the basketball uh, business here. And uh, but I loved I loved all things sports growing up. And as my career uh, very clearly uh, was coming to an end at uh, Princeton. Uh, my four, how many years you play? I played four years. Okay. Um, I had almost I couldn't as find many, your stats, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. they're hard to find. <laughs> uh, I had almost as many broken collarbones as uh, career receptions. How many uh, broken I collarbones? I broke my collarbone twice. Uh, I had four catches. Nice. So um, a catch per year. I'm good at math. Yeah. That's way yeah, to go, bud. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was looking for another avenue to continue my sports career. And okay. as a computer science major, uh, actually, I did my thesis on March Madness. So college basketball tournament. And um, I'm sure you're going here. But uh, basically, when Daryl Morey got the job in Houston uh, through a friend of a friend of a friend uh, is where I got the um, – you know, kind of passed along the job posting and right. and initially uh, interviewed. That was kind of my my initial in. Well, so we go from Princeton to uh, stats. So I was I'm familiar with stats from the very beginning stages of the Sloan Conference. Brian Cop, who was heavily involved, uh, was a guy that I had gotten to know back then. But take me through that a little bit. How did you go from you graduated Princeton, and I don't know the timing. When did you start working with stats? Yeah, so I actually interviewed at the end of my senior year okay. with the Rockets uh, and uh, another name that people maybe don't know a lot about, but are starting to learn more about is Sachin Gupta yep. uh, in Minnesota. And so Sachin actually got the job at that time. Okay. Um, and so Daryl Morey, Sam Hinkie hired, hired Sachin smartly. Yep. Um, and so I did not get the job at first, went back to LA, worked for stats uh, for about a year, year and a half. And, okay. and then they opened up a second, basically analyst position and call me back, see if I was still interested. And, and I was, and so Sachin and I worked together for, for uh, a few years uh, in the early days 
you know, when Daryl uh, and Sam were starting there, but right. uh, that's well, yeah. and stats and the connection to today's game is that they, they had founded the, the sport view technology, the tracking technology that, that is now commonplace and such a big part of the analytics side of the game. But I, I do wonder, you know, as you get your resume together and you're figuring out what possible roads to go down, I understand the idea of the mutual friend. And so Daryl becomes somebody who's in your, your kind of ecosystem, but how many different possible career paths might we have been looking at at that point? What type of stuff were you targeting in terms yeah, of what was, you wanted to do? So basically I had, um, I, I believe just read Moneyball. Okay. Um, baseball was starting to have, you know, a little bit of kind of this analytics, um, you know, kind of bent growing into it. Uh, basketball, not so much. Right. Um, and so it was a little bit newer. Uh, I was thinking about going to coach football, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something in sports. And like okay. you said before, I, I think I was maybe more of a jock growing up. Once getting in uh, as an analyst, uh, you know, in the front office, definitely switched uh, to the geek side of things. Sure. You know, where you're surrounded by former players, active players, coaches, people who've been around the game for a long time. And and I had topped out at, you know, small high school basketball in, in California. So, right. I can um, relate. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not as much of a jock in that world. Sure. When you get – Take two with Daryl. Um, how does that go? And and how you know what do you think you presented with him that uh, that that you know compelled him to bring you aboard? Yeah. So I mean, certainly, um, I think a lot of people would attest to this. My one year on the job at, at Stats, I learned so much more real world experience than you do in kind of the theoretical of of you know your college learning. And um, so I felt much more prepared for the job. And um, you know, hopefully that that bore out in the interview. And um, what do you, not to interrupt you, but what are you yeah. learning? I feel like at this point, the listeners on here, especially the ones who, again, are maybe not as hardcore, are thinking to themselves, this is, it's still very ambiguous. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that one year at stats and the specific, you know, what the daily routine is like, how you grew professionally. But when you say that, that you had learned a lot and you had grown in the kind of way that helps you get to that next stop, what does that entail? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, not to get too technical, but a lot of database programming, which is a huge part of, of any kind of front office analytics group, right? As, as many, many other businesses, right? Where you're trying to manage this, this huge amount of data. Uh, and then also built, you know, some, some websites for our, for our group. And like, you know, basically every team now, our group here does a great job as well. You have kind of a, a front end web interface for your scouts, your coaches, everybody to kind of view different reports and submit reports and different things like that. And so those are the two things that at stats that I really built up that I hadn't done in college. So essentially collecting the massive amounts of data, which I've heard you say before that not that long ago, I, I watched a video from Sloan last night where you referenced the fact that, you know, there used to be 200 events, you know, uh, in a game. And, and now I don't know what the hell the number is, but it's through the roof. And through so, the roof, yeah. you know, wrangling what is, what is kind of like an 800 pound gorilla in terms of the data and, and not only organizing it in a cohesive way, but then distributing, disseminating, you know, getting some kind of message to coaches, players, guys on the court to, to actually improve the situation. Is that yeah. kind of sum it up? Yeah. It's, you know, you think about it, we're, we're trying to get information to the decision makers. Ultimately, yeah. um, that's the, the head coach, that's the general manager, that's, um, and, and ultimately your players and what they're going to do on the floor. But there's a lot of stuff that goes in before that. And so my kind of foot in the door was to build those reports, get that information to, at the time, Sam Hinkie, Daryl Morey, um, Rick Adelman was was our yeah, head coach yeah, at yeah. the time. And they need the infrastructure to be able to 
communicate and do that. And so our job at the time, me, such and others is get all that stuff ready. And that's a lot of, um, a lot of programming and a lot of things like that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun and it's your, your kind of way in. Right. Right. I, um, met you for the first time in Houston when I don't know if this was maybe the first time we met, but the most memorable for me was I was doing a piece as you remember on, on the Rockets, but specifically Mike D'Antoni and it was during the playoffs and to Mike's credit and, and Tracy Hughes with the Rockets from PR, they were nice enough to, to let me in in some playoff meetings where it was coaches meetings behind the scenes. And as a reporter, it was great access. It was really interesting. I'll be honest, Monty, the longer I do this job, I wish teams would open up more because we unfortunately continue to cover in a lot of instances, you know, maybe 5% of what actually happens. You know what I mean? Like that experience, seeing Mike, you know, with the entire staff during the playoffs, just working through every scenario possible, trying to get any competitive edge possible was just just a thrill as a reporter. But what I remember is that you have this perception of analytics people that, you know, they do have the the glasses with the tape in the middle and the notepad and they can't communicate. And here comes this guy who you you know, you're kind of a shorter stockier guy. You you know, the jock tag looks like it could fit type thing. You you're a regular dude who can talk, who can communicate. You and Mike had a really good rapport. And you at the time were tasked with you know, being the main person for Mike to convey this information, to try to get that competitive edge and give open his eyes to some of the trends that might've been happening that could help the team. And, and so if you fast forward to when the Kings hired you, you know, I, I actually was kind of, you know, I thought it gave me a different lane in terms of looking at that hiring, because I think, you know, to most folks, it was like, oh, the Kings are just another team that hired an analytics guy. And it's like, ah, it's pretty damn good. And not only, you know, organizing the info, but but conveying it, which is half the battle. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit. You you have your your time with Daryl. You you know you make your way up the chain. Um, when you come here, it is still. I think you would agree. Like you know, anytime you're doing this job for the first time, it's a leap. And so you're you're diving with two feet in. It's in the middle of the bubble is when you get hired. So you have all these unique circumstances to deal with. Uh, like you said earlier, with the family stuff, you got a lot going on. Um, how did you attack this job, you know, when, when they decided to bring you to town? Yeah. Well, first of all, you shouted out Tracy Hughes. So she does a great job in, in yes. Houston, worked a long time. Um, I haven't called her. Tracy in a long time. So that just scored me some points. Yeah. Right there. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, working, but the, really the first coaching staff that I, that I got on with in, in Houston was, uh, with Kevin McHale, um, and then JB Bickerstaff uh, took over. Chris Finch w- was on that staff. Greg Buckner, and learning to to you know it's a two way street. Having them teach me, but also learning right. you know where you should push and and where you might be missing something, and how to communicate that. Uh, where to fight your battles. You know, pick pick the ones that you actually want to fight. And then so coming here and um, you know a new organization and and obviously a new job and trying to figure out. Um, how to prioritize, right? How to pick your battles, how to see where you can make change, but also be humble and open-minded about where maybe, you know, being in one spot in Houston for a long time where we can be better, where maybe that stuff won't apply here in Sacramento. And, um, you know, Luke uh, Walton, that was, you know, we didn't know each other coming in, but um, we we built a great rapport. Um, 
having Joe Dumars and Wes Wilcox, who have both been GMs before, um, as you know, the ability to, to help me along the way. Um, obviously, Vivek and Matina, you know, their support throughout. Like the organization here has a lot of a lot of people to help, but uh, but I think my expertise coming in was was to you know how can we uh, continue to build the basketball side and and incorporate the analytics where, where we can help. And so, uh, and Luke's, Luke's open-mindedness was a big part of that. What, if anything, as you talked to Vivek and the group during the interview process, and, and I should say, as an aside, it was a pretty unique uh, interview process. It's not every day when you talk about, you know, you get the job and then Wes, who was in the running for the job as well, ends up coming to town. And even to a lesser degree in the beginning, you know, at least in, on the media side, you know, we had just like talked about the idea of Joe possibly, you know, being the one in that position. And then ultimately he was essentially kind of part of the team doing the hiring. So that those elements are somewhat unique. But when you, for lack of a better way of putting it, when you pitched the Kings, when you presented yourself and you're, you know, I, I know you do your homework. So, you know, I'm sure you had uh, a lot of research involved in, in a specific angle that you were trying to take to paint the picture of what you would do, characterize that. I mean, what did you see about their roster? What did you see about the market and the arena, all the different components that come into trying to do this job? Yeah. Um, you know, I think for myself, the pitch for myself is, is kind of what you alluded to before that, you know, try to bridge the gap between, um, the jock and the geek, uh, and, you know, being in that role in Houston, you know, being around the team a lot, um, felt that I could, I could do that. And obviously hopefully bring some of the analytic expertise there. Um, and then as far as what intrigued me about the job, um, yeah, I mean, coming as a visiting team, this is the best arena in the league. And, you know, now I'm biased to say that, but, um, you know, when we came the first couple of years after the arena was built, I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, the facilities here. Um, I think the, the thing that we, kind of new as outsiders coming in was the fan base, but seeing it up close and personal is a lot of fun, especially. You had to wait a while to see it, didn't you? We had to wait a while to see him in the building. But um, I think as, as some of the fans know, I'm trying to dip my toe into the Twitter, Twitter world. (laughs) uh, We have some great, great folks. It's going well so far. I don't know. You might end up regretting that, but it's going well well so far. But uh, no, it's fun to interact with the fans a little bit in that way. Now they're in the building. Um, And, uh, and then, you know, the roster, you know, we had, a lot of talent already on the roster, which is not always the case uh, when you come in and, um, you know, trying to, trying to keep those, those pieces that, that can help us win, add some more. And, and right. ultimately we all know we got to get back to the playoffs. Here. Right, so right, that's right. The, the big, the big carrot at the end. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, I'm going to start with some of the macro king stuff and work my way down. And this is admittedly a combination of things I'm curious about, but then things I think that the fans would would blow me up on Twitter if I didn't ask. You know what I mean? That type of thing. Um, <clears throat> I you're, saying, you're saying on Twitter, people will blow you oh, up. Oh, people blow you up. It does wow. have, they all, you know, you're five and five now. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they're being pretty nice to you to this point. Um, it's okay. Twitter's not real, uh, but, <laughs> but it does feel that way sometimes. So this question comes uh, from the standpoint of having been in this market a long time and seen, obviously, you know, that playoff streak is, is so long at this point. You're going back to 2006 and from then to now, unfortunately, a lot of instances where the group that was tasked with leading this organization did not, you know, I'm talking to specific individuals within it, did not pull in the same direction on a consistent basis. So this is more, you know, not, uh, I don't know admittedly what the pulse is right now. And I'm well aware that, you know, if things were not going well, you probably wouldn't behoove you to share that. But I wonder for the fans, like, how are you feeling about everything from Vivek to the rest of the group and the general concept of people pulling in the same direction. Cause as you know, when that doesn't happen, it makes an already tough job a whole lot tougher. Yeah. No, it's, um, I think one thing that's really helped us is, um, we have very, a very clear goal and that we've talked about, you know, especially since the end of last season that we want to get this, this organization back to the playoffs. And, you know, I grew up with the, I guess the heyday of the Kings and, and Vlade and Peja and Doug Christie and Mike Bibby and Chris Weber and all those guys. And, um, so we want to get back there and that helps. We have a singular focus. Um, you know, Vivek, it starts with him and he's given us, we talked about the arena already. The facilities are top notch, um, all the resources that we need. And, um, and also an owner that wants to win, which is fantastic. Um, and so he does a great job of, of giving us what we need and, and asking questions and then ultimately, uh, letting us to decide what we think is the best way to go. Uh, Matina, you know, and John Reinhardt and others on the business side do a great job. Um, fantastic partners, um, you know, giving us what we need and, and we try to reciprocate. Um, and then, you know, having Joe. Dumars as, as, you know, kind of an advisor who has done all of it in the right. NBA, uh, player, uh, executive of the year, championships, all that stuff. Um, Wes Wilcox, uh, Ken Catanella, Phil Jabor, Paul Johnson, the rest of our group here. Um, the thing we are definitely all doing is, is rowing the boat in the same direction. Now we, we want to row as fast as we can and, sure. and as straight as we can and all that stuff. But, um, but, we are for sure rowing in the same direction. That makes it a lot easier. And we got a great group. Um, and so now it's just, can we, can we do it? And, uh, you know, I've seen some stuff on, on Twitter and different things, you know, you know, why, why should we, um, you know, trust in you? And I say, you don't have to yet. Like we haven't done anything to, to kind of earn that. And so our job right now, we just got our heads down right. and we're trying to draft well, uh, sign well and free agency trade when needed and then internally develop our guys um which which we've seen some great stuff from luke and his staff and, and rico hines who heads of our player development you know sure. those are kind of the pillars we're trying to do um you know we've seen i think some improvement in our depth and our defense so far this year which were yeah. two big things and um obviously we've we've uh 
you know, battled through a five and five start, some positives, some negatives, uh, tough schedule, but uh, we got to keep, keep that going. But, you know, I do think we're, like I said, we're all rolling in the same direction. We just got to get, get to the other side. Sure. I want to for sure get into the team in a quick second here, but more specifically, uh, and I've never even asked you this offline, I don't think, is with Joe and Wes. Joe is now he lives in LA, correct? Joe has a has a place here now too. He does. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um and, and but just I have you don't see him at games that often. It's it's a bit of it's a different routine for Joe. And I have had curiosity about from a functionality standpoint, just how often are you talking with Joe? Wes was just in here a moment ago. You guys are are side by side all the time. And so I've got a better sense of how that part works. But in terms of just take me through your, you know, an average day from a communication standpoint. And, and as you guys talk about, you know, each and everything, how is that, you know, yeah. what are the connection points? Yeah. So certainly Luke and I talk every day, yeah. um, you know, Wes, uh, like we talk all the time and we're, we're, you know, front office, that's just normal course of action. Right. Um, and Joe was, you know, a little less frequent than that, but always, um, you know, always, always around for whatever, whatever is needed and, uh, you know, really more high level stuff. And, um, like I said, he's got a fantastic wealth of, of experience that we can all draw upon and, um, not just as a player, but, but as, you know, one of the best executives, you know, of, of the last 20, 30 years. So, um, so yeah, so Joe, Joe, Wes, all, and, and the rest of the front office group all, all help advise in that way. But Joe, yeah, Joe's a little bit more um, on a week, weekly basis or multiple times a week. Whereas, you know, Wes, Luke and others, you know, I speak to obviously every day. Do you, are you a fan of the generally just the idea of, of having different perspectives like that? And, and, you know, I mean, the Rockets certainly had a lot of that. You guys had a lot of folks in the room. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Um, I think everybody's got their own style, but uh you know, I think one of the things that that I know is what I don't know. And sure. uh, I think it's very clear, as we've talked about, I did not play at the NBA level or anywhere close to it. Um, and I think I bring certain things to the table, but I also know the things that I don't know. And I lean on the people who do know those things. And right. so whether that's the, all the names we've already mentioned, um, you know, whether it's uh, our analytics group, right, who does a great job given given their support and and uh, you know their opinions, um, our our scouting group, um, our assistant coaches, right, like where put people in their position to succeed and and let them use their strengths and and my job is just to take all that information in and and make the final decision, but it doesn't you know I, I'm really just um, you know as as Vivek likes to say, you're the conductor of the jazz band. Like I'm not the entire thing and uh, I'm just trying to bring it all together and ultimately make the final decision. I wonder, you mentioned the scouting staff and the analytics staff. Has that, have you built that out at all since you came to town or been able to kind of put your stamp on a lot? I mean, you and I both know the infrastructure a lot of times within every organization is just something that doesn't get talked about a lot in the public space, but does matter a lot. Um, you know, where owner investment plays a part and, and these are the people that, that, you know, you kind of figure it out with, but has that stuff changed since you came to town? Yeah, we, um, you know, we had a great group already in place. And so, um, a lot of them, um, you know, we're, we're already here when I, when I came in and they've been fantastic. We made a couple, a couple hires as, as well, um, both the analytics group and the scouting group, but, um, but the large majority were already, already here doing great work and, um, you know. Like I said, I came in like a month before the draft and right. these guys have been working on it for, you know, for over a year with, with the pandemic, you know, kind of extending 
where the draft actually happened. So, um, you know, it's been, um, you know, been able to like bring some people in and, and fill out, uh, as needed, but we've, we've also, um, we're blessed to come into, to a group that had, um, you know, both on both the analytics and scouting side, some really good people. Sure. All right. I'm looking at my recorder here. We're 26 minutes in and the Kings fans are probably wondering when I'm going to ask about the team itself. So let's, let's get into some of the, yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know, the, the elephant in the room that is probably worth covering real quickly, uh, because it is, I think, top of mind for the fans. Um, you have early season panic coming from some Kings fans. How are you feeling about, uh, De'Aaron, in particular, and just some of the early season struggles. You, you insert Davion into the rotation. We talked in the past about some of the excitement about the three-guard lineups. And, you know, I looked at the usage numbers last night. It, you know, De'Aaron's been off the ball a little bit more this year, but I don't think that's been a major game changer. Just what are you seeing when you look at the tape, when you look at the numbers about his game right now? Yeah, no, I think – and our guys have, have done a good job. And um, and their comments, you know, we're, we're all behind De'Aaron. He's going to – he's already – already had a couple of great games recently and um, you know, he's still getting to his spots. He's getting his shot profile. All that stuff is, uh, is largely what it was last year. And they just haven't found the bottom of the net as much this year. And, you know, I don't think we have, we have any doubt that it's going to get back there. And um, you know, we've seen him Tyrese and Davion play in all combinations, all three together, uh, all combinations of two of them together. Obviously, there's a bit of a learning curve for new guys coming in as, as well as a rookie like Davion coming into the league. But, um, you know, we've seen a lot of positive signs with all of those combinations. And, you know, all three of those guys are great players. They're going to continue to figure it out. We have, right. we have really no worries there and uh, really great compliments to each other, I think, on the court and off like their personalities um, as well as their games complement each other very well. Kind of tangential to that. And this is taking a, a macro step back real quick is would you agree that I mean, you know, the decision to to roll with De'Aaron and Tyrese and Davion and and as you know during the offseason, plenty of outside looking in chatter about what might the Kings do um, with the roster and and I have told people that in general I've been f- interested and fascinated by the fact that you have I don't know the best way to put this since taking the job you've been very measured with the roster there have been it seems some potential for big swings along the way. That obviously you just you, you didn't see the value. You didn't see you know the the risk being you know less than the reward, and a lot of that is born out of the faith you have in in, in these particular guys. Um, just I guess give me a better sense of how you have seen you know because that all speaks to potential, right? That speaks to what you think this group can do without going out there and, and, and making a bigger move with some of these pieces. How have you seen you know that element? Yeah. So last year, you know, coming in, I think. Um, you know, we, we kind of got to the end of the year and looked back and saw, um, you know, a core that was was actually very productive. And uh, we felt the two things we needed to improve were our depth, which we addressed somewhat at the deadline last year as well as into this summer, um, and, and our defense, which clearly uh, a lot of our moves have, have been geared towards, as we've seen with Davion, um, obviously bringing in Alex Land among others. Um, but, you know, that core that was here, you know, we, we thought – could help us win. And I think they're showing that this year we were five and five against, um, you know, I think the toughest or second toughest schedule in the league so far. Um, and it was about what can we do to put them in positions to succeed as well as 
add those pieces around them that that we need that uh, that maybe at times last year we didn't have. And so, um, of course, we're always going to look for ways to improve the team. And like we talked about, there's the draft, there's free agency, there's trade, but there's also internal development. We focused a lot on that. We had a great summer of work. Um, Luke, Rico, and their staff working with our guys um, who put in put in all the hours. It was a short off season, but they did a great job. And you know, I think we're seeing some of those fruits and like. As always, we'll, we'll continue to look for ways that um, that we can to improve this team, but we're really happy with the group we got. You you are always talked about in the context of Daryl because of your backstory. But I wonder, I think sometimes we might be guilty of assuming that, that you guys, you know, you have a different profile. You have a different mentality. The Rockets have been known for the longest time, and now the Sixers with Daryl out there, they're for star chasing. I mean, he has unabashedly talked openly all the time about that's it's a star league. You know, I'm, I'm chasing stars. That's what I do. Um, where do you land on on kind of that that ethos, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, you know, we're everybody kind of has to, you know, do be themselves, right? And like, kind of, you know, for me, uh, I cannot do the things that you know that other executives around the league do because that's just not who I am. And so, um, you know, trying to put your your own stamp on things. But I think for us, you know, we've talked about, you know, our initial goal, we want to get into the playoffs, right? We want to be a competitive team throughout the regular season. Um, obviously, you know, there's we have the play in and all these different things. We just want to be in the mix at the end. We want to finally get in there. And then we want to continue to improve this team. We have a lot of young talent on the team uh, that we think can continue to build, take steps. But, um, you know, once we, once we succeed there, then we want to build a a team that's going to be in the playoffs every year and competing in the playoffs. And then we want to build a championship contention team. And so, you know, there's no, if, if the shortcut, you know, was easy, we would all do it. But, uh, and we know that, um, you know, at the very top end, you know, top talent wins in this league. And we think we got guys who can get there and um, we have a lot of depth around uh, our younger guys that we think, um, you know, can, can get us that first step. And so, um, you know, I think Daryl does it his own way. Uh, Sam Hinkie did it his own way and I'm going to do it my own way. Right. Are you finding yourself in that respect? You know what I mean? Cause it's again, with this new hat on, that's not really that new anymore, but is it a, is it a case of, you know your beliefs, but but now you know I'm I'm in the seat, and and so that continues to evolve. I would imagine. Yeah, uh, it definitely does. It's I, I think one thing, maybe that I um, rely on myself is, like I said, I I know what I don't know, and so I like to. We have we have people, you know, we talked about Wes who built some of the um, great teams there in Atlanta. Um, Paul Johnson comes from Oklahoma city, Phil Jabor, um, from Philadelphia, Orlando, Houston, um, Joe, obviously, uh, from his Detroit days. And so we have people who have won a lot of places and why not use all the, all the positives from those places and just put it in and stir it up. And that's what we're trying to do here. And, um, you know, there's not just one blueprint and I think what works for us here is going to be different than what worked for everybody else in their different places, but sure. we can take those little pieces and put them all together. And it, it's, it has been a learning curve to try to figure that out, but it's, I think we all, I certainly try to come in humble and open-minded that, um, you know, where are my blind spots? How can we fill them in to make things even better? What's the spirit collectively? Cause now to hear all the different names and the voices, you know, and, and you guys on a regular basis are going to be chopping it up about these important decisions. I mean, is, 
anybody pounding the table, anybody raising their voice? Is it all, you know, like, like you're in the library and it's pretty quiet. What's, what's the, uh, the mood in that room? Yeah, no, the mood is, I think, very positive. Um, you know, that there's, we off, we often disagree. Yeah. Um, we, if you were sitting in here during our draft meetings or. Yes, we're in the draft room. I should have mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Where a lot of the discussions take place, but we have a, um, we try to be inclusive and sit in here and you speak your mind and, uh, you don't back down. And then we, when we're done, we make the final decision. We shake hands, we go to dinner and, and, uh, you know, that it doesn't leave the room. And I think our group does a great job of that. But when you say you don't back down, you, you gotta, you gotta send that message to the staff, right? Yes. No, because politically we all know how this works. If, if people aren't confident that they actually can, speak their mind, then they're going to be inclined to not speak their mind for the sake of safety. Absolutely. And yeah. so, you know, I think, um, you know, you have to, it, it, you have to work on that over time and show people that, yes, you can speak your mind and, and, uh, it's going to be a positive no outcome. recourse. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think maybe some people initially like, but I think quick, very quickly, our group has, um, you know, has gelled and, and, uh, gone at each other uh in a very good way and we right. got we have a lot of people from different backgrounds um and so the discussions are very good and uh you know but yeah we don't agree all the time but um but people people come in and do it and um and we we all we ultimately all get behind the decision that's made at the end all right perfect segue since i did mention that we were in the draft room and i'm cheating and looking at my laptop to Remind myself who was around Davion Mitchell, but let's talk about your your latest edition. Um, you know, I mean, media fans were always guilty of overreacting right away, so you had to deal with the immediate noise about why in the world would they go get a small guard and a guy that you know people didn't have the vision to see how he would fit. He's had some really good moments early on, um, still finding his way. But if nothing else, I think we're we're already safe in saying that you see the way that he defends having an impact on the group and at, you know, in his best moments, you see that he could be a very special player, but take me through the draft a little bit. You know, I mean, I don't expect you to reveal the entire board that you had in front of you, but you know, where was your head at with that decision? Um, Was it a a case of if he's there, we're going after him. Just what, what went into that call? No, uh, Davion, obviously a a very special player as um, you know, national champion. He's won really at every level. Um, that was, that's the number one thing that jumps out is just his winning pedigree, his competitiveness, his work ethic. Um, certainly when you just look at the team we had and who we had drafted the year before and Tyrese and who we already had on the team and De'Aaron, and you say, why would you draft another point guard? And this is where we talk about being a best player available in the draft. And it's, it's a hard thing to do sometimes, but, um, but we truthfully sit here and try to be best player available. And when Davion is sitting at the top of our board, we do not hesitate to draft him. And I'm of the belief that these guys um, are such talented players. And really all three of those guys are such um, quality human beings. They want to win. They want to figure it, figure out a way. And all three of them were like, yeah, let's do it. And they've already become, uh, they're pushing the, they're pushing each other. We've seen it like De'Aaron has to go up against Davion. Davion's got to go, uh, you know, against Ty. Ty's got to right. go against De'Aaron in practice every day. And so, and then they get on the court and they get to do it to the other team. And so, right. um, yes, it, it is. It sounds like you, talk to those guys in advance. I mean, De'Aaron and Tyrese, were they, yeah. were they part of the, the conversation yeah, we, going in? Yeah. Have conversations with them throughout 
the summer and everything, but certainly leading up to the draft and, um, you know, Hey, look, we want to, you guys are a big part of what we do. Our job in the draft is to add some talent wherever we can. Our job, same in free agency trade, but especially in the draft, that's really your chance to like get a young, um, you know, a young impact player, right? Free agency guys are hitting in their, usually their late twenties or so. Right. right. Um, and so, uh, but Hey, like, I don't even know what's going to happen tonight. Right. We're ninth, the, the ninth pick. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen before, but whether we draft a big a point guard doesn't matter. Like, you know, our job is, is to make them, them work with you guys. And they were extremely supportive, right. love Davion and everything he brings. And, um, you know, really, I think while they're quote unquote, all point guards, they're very complimentary. You know, De'Aaron's got his, obviously his speed and attack mindset. Tyrese is, um, you know, he's got the shooting and just a little bit more of a free flowing guy, Davion, obviously the defensive component, um, and just his, you know, thick and, you know, kind of strong build. And, right. um, you know, it's fun to see how they all work together, um, and are still figuring it out, but doing a good job of, of complimenting each other on the court. The irony, and this is just me talking of, of some of the early blowback that you guys received on that call was that, you know, and again, because I'm based here, having lived through. The, you know, the choice from the previous front office to, to go with Marvin Bagley and when Luka Doncic was there and, and the takeaway being that, that, you know, that was a, a fit based choice for the most part. Uh, and don't expect you to speak to that, but just, you know, I mean, the, the idea that, you know, like you said, going with best players a lot of times, uh, not as easy as people make it out to be. Yeah. It's, it's not, but, uh, you know, I think our group does a great job of staying disciplined to that and we create our board, um, you know, with that in mind and, right. and, uh, you know, stay true to that. Making my way through my uh, mental list of, of King's topics that, uh, that move the needle a little bit. Um, Buddy Heels season is really interesting to me because again, we've seen in the past times when, you know, Buddy got his extension and then didn't, wasn't thrilled to be coming off the bench. And that was something that was a story and a situation for a while. And, and he and Luke Walton had to work through some things. All of a sudden, um, you know, Buddy is out there firing away, you know, hitting that three at a very high rate and, and really seemingly having a smile on his face most of the time and seeming to be in a pretty good place. I, I heard a few things that I was hoping you might be able to to share a little more about, about some of the off-season dialogue that you and Buddy had. And one thing that, that made a ton of sense to me was the idea that, you know, given where you come from, where you and that Rockets group were legitimately, you know, kind of revolutionizing the game from a three-point shooting standpoint, uh, a guy like Buddy should, you know, that should resonate with him. And it, it sounds like it might have taken him a minute to, to really understand that given the fact that you're leading the front office, that it wasn't lip service when you would tell people how much you value his shooting. Like independent of, listen, it's the NBA, it's pro sports. If the phone rings and there's a, a great trade for the Kings that makes them better than involves Buddy, Something could happen, but when as long as you're here, do what you do. I mean, it did, did some of that, you know, help in the off season. Which is how did you approach his situation coming into this year? Yeah, no, buddy's um, he's, he's been been really uh, fun to work with. Um, you know, coming in over the last year and a half, really. Um, you know, the thing that I don't know if people really appreciate about Buddy is how much he wants to win, how hard he works, and how he plays every single night almost regardless of, I mean, there was a game last year, he was like limping off the court and I don't, I guess he just tied his shoe tight and went right back out. Cause he didn't even go to the back. Um, and then of course his shooting, right. I think he's, you know, I'll put him up there. There's one other guy in the league who's a pretty good shooter, but sure. buddy is right there. Right. Um, 
as one of the top two shooters in the league and like his job is to let it fly and he's doing it. Um, and yeah, we had some conversations over the, over the off season. I don't want to go into too much detail there, but um, treat buddy like, like the, you know, the, the adult that he is. And I think he appreciated that. He does the same with me. And I said, look, you know, obviously your name has been out there, but if it doesn't work out, if, if nothing happens, you come back here, I expect you to let it fly. And he's been doing that. And uh, you know, he definitely wants to win and he's doing uh, all that he can to help us do that. And, um, you know, he's, he's one of the bigger bodies we have. He's really helping us on the glass, uh, guarding bigger guys that people aren't seeing on the defensive end as much as well. So he's, he's taken on that in addition to being the, uh, the let it fly shooter that he is. Right. Knowing that you, you, you know, and I know your style well enough, you probably won't be too interested in pulling the curtain back too much on this one, but because again, the fans have got a lot of interest in it. What, if anything, can you share about the, the the situation with the Lakers and Buddy during the off season? You know, the for all of us, and I think for you guys too, the Westbrook trade essentially came out of nowhere. Um, you know, was that just a case of, you know, in this job, you're you're going to have things that are unexpected, and you're always going to be turning over every rock to to find ways to improve the roster. But you know, how how you know how would you describe kind of that experience? I guess. Yeah, I, I, what I will say is, uh, you know, we're there's always conversations, especially that time of year. Some get out more than others. Yep. Um, obviously, that was one of them. But um, you know, the the roster's in a bit of a state of flux at that point, and so you really do have to look at a bunch of different things. And uh, at the time, we had, you know, certainly Rashawn was still a free agent, and um, you know, we had whereas we do we had more guards. We were more guard heavy at the time. And so we were looking at some different things and uh, we're really happy with how things shook out. And Buddy's, um, like I said, his ability to play up in size and his ability to to really space the floor for our guards is um, is invaluable right now. Uh, g- keep going down the list here. Rashawn Holmes coming back was a big deal. And I think nationally it gets overlooked because you guys just, you're not in the conversation all that much. But, you know, if you do let him slip away. You, you see the way this team is functioning on a nightly basis. That would have been tough. I mean, whether it's the on-off net rating stuff or just the eyeball test, the guy's an incredibly valuable player. Was there angst uh, during free agency that, you know, he might not be a guy that, that you would see back in a Kings jersey? Yeah, you never know. Um, and uh, obviously, Rashad's a fantastic player in that world you were describing where we don't have Rashad. I don't want to yeah. envision what that world is. He's been so good for us, obviously, last year and, and to start this year. I mean, he just had a 2020 game a couple nights ago. And, um, you know, we were extremely, um, you know, happy when when uh, when we got him back. And he's, he's so versatile. Um, you know, offensively, defensively, and the way the league's going that he can play on the perimeter defensively, he can switch out and guard these guards. He can protect our rim. He can rebound. And then of course, offensively, um, he's got the automatic push shot that all Kings fans know about that nobody outside of Sacramento fully appreciates just how hard of a shot that is that he makes look super easy. Right. Um, but he's just, uh, and a fan favorite, just an incredible player and, and person and brings all that energy and, um, you know, really in a lot of ways, the heart and soul of our team from, from the back line. No, he's fun to watch that that push shot, man. I mean, it's an art form. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. He's got fantastic. Who's, touch. I mean, there's no, you know, he's the leader in in today's league. But I, I just should know this. I mean, is there a historical, you know, comp to that shot? Is is he inventing this thing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not. A, there's just not a lot of players that bring something that unique. you know. We obviously you have you have the more traditional big right with the hook shots and 
and that kind of game and the face up game. But uh, I don't know, like this this little kind of mid range push shot that uh, that he's kind of perfected. Uh, but you know, guys continue to find ways to as the game evolves. Sure. Um, to you know, and the best players really create things that um, that others others haven't done before. Right. So, right. He's been pretty impressive. No question. All right. Um, I'm going to throw one more player name at you before I think, it, you know, it'd be fitting to fit uh, finish with Luke Walton on the back end. But before we get there, uh, the Marvin Bagley situation is, is a tricky one, right? Uh, you, know, you guys are getting ready to tip off your season. A lot of excitement in the air. Uh, and, and, you know, lo and behold, his agent, Jeff Schwartz puts out a tweet indicating a lot of frustration about the way, He's been handled. You know, you didn't draft Marvin. You've been professional with him and tried to get this situation to a, a good place, but he's, you know, he's not playing now. What can you share about, I mean, listen, if you guys would have had a deal on the table that would have made the team better and put him in a happier place uh, professionally, then I'm sure you would have done it. But um, it's, you know, that opening night had to be frustrating, uncomfortable. I don't want to speak for you, but what's what's the landscape there? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, obviously, Luke, Luke decides on playing time, and and his directive is is to put the guys out there on the floor that uh, that night that he thinks is going to do it. We're going to need all our guys at some point this year. Um, obviously, we talked about Davion, and you know, we've we've become a little more guard heavy. That's pushed some other guys down the roster, right? Which has had some impact. Well, I mean, um, not to catch out the Tristan Thompson addition. Yeah, you know, when you guys needed size, you needed defense, and and. You- not yeah. a real secret. You weren't the the toughest team last year yeah, defensively. Tristan and, yeah. and Alex, and on, Alex the, yeah. on the front line. Um, and uh, but yeah, Mar- Marvin's been putting in the work and and uh, staying ready. And just like we tell all our guys, when your number's called, you go in and you and you help us win. And uh, it's a long season. We're gonna need. Uh, we got seventeen guys now on the roster. We're gonna need all of them at some point. And um, you know, Marvin as well as everybody else is gonna be ready when they're called. Did that situation require any additional communication with him? Was it something to 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 have to deal with, or did you just keep it moving? Yeah, I think what I'll say there is um, I'm always in communication uh, with our guys, whether it's the summer, the season, and everything. And uh, you know, we we try to handle all that internally as best we can, and yeah. uh, with understanding that every player wants to play, almost every player in the league wants to play more, and you want that competitive spirit and the guys that want to help you win and. Um, it's just that not everybody on that on any given night can get that. So uh, we try to keep that dialogue going and, and uh, make sure that our guys, you know, are in the position where they're when their numbers called, they're ready to go. Right. All right. Let's get to your coach. Um, since you came to town, we've talked about Luke, you know, countless times. And, you know, I think there's some people around the league at different times, especially in the middle of, you know, multiple nine game losing streaks last year that, that thought he might be in a lot of trouble. And then as we get into the off season. Coming into this season, at least for me, the uh, the feedback was was you know almost universally positive about his relationships with players, the rapport with the front office, with you, with you know on the ownership side. And this goes beyond Vivek. I mean, we all know that that owners are just kind of inherently going to be impatient, going to be um, you know pushing because if if they're not where they want the the team to be, then that's what you do. But you know, it seems like it has swung in a fairly positive direction. The results are going to dictate a lot. I, I think he's got two years left on his deal. Um, but in general terms, just how is that relationship? How is is his, you know, kind of place in this whole program? What's your perspective there? Yeah. So uh, obviously <clears throat> coming in, um, probably hard for Luke 
uh, right to have to have somebody who didn't hire him right. come in, but typically uh, kind of a kiss of death. I'm yeah, just being honest, and we yeah. we talk about how we've you know we came in as an arranged marriage, and right. um, but we've made it work, and and he's been incredible to work with from the get go, and we we both um, you know I think understand what the others going through, and we work together. We talk every day to figure it out. And, um, you know, Luke's done a great job with our players, um, you know, getting them to believe in each other, um, getting, putting them in positions to succeed, um, working with me and our group, um, working with the rest of his coaching staff. There's a lot that goes into being a coach these days. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we felt like we had a lot of positive signs last year. Obviously we didn't get where we wanted to go. And, um, you know, so we, we, we worked on, adding depth and defense and, and, you know, Luke acknowledged that we need to be better um, certainly on that end of the floor. And I think we're, we've seen some good early returns this year. And so, um, you know, it's just staying in that constant communication um, and, and hopefully seeing the results on the floor. Like we, I think we've seen this early going and uh, you know, we all are trying to, like we said, row the row the boat in that direction. Right, and we right. all got to get to the playoffs and, and, uh, and finally reap, reap that reward. What is along those lines? What is your opinion and your view on the concept of coaching development? And I ask this because recently was around the Nuggets and Michael Malone, obviously former Kings coach, said some really interesting things complimenting the Nuggets brass about how he appreciated that essentially they allowed him to grow. There were times during his time in Denver when, you know, he thinks he was not as good of a coach back then as he is now. And it really hit me because it's like, man, he's, he's very, he's very, it's very true. You got a lot of owners who just, they don't see what they want right out the gate out of a coach and they just kind of switch him out for a new one. And then I asked partly because, excuse me, um, I asked partly because with Luke, I have talked to some people that, that feel like, and I don't know how this kind of manifests itself, but they feel like they're seeing things with him where you see development. And I think that part of the equation a lot of times doesn't get talked about a lot that, you know, it's a little bit like you being a GM, you're going to grow year two, year three, you know, if you're able to continue having opportunities, you're going to change. But is he growing as a coach? And how do you see that, that idea in general? Yeah. We always talk about players developing. Yeah, right? exactly. We see that in front of our eyes and obviously, you know, they're, they're also developing physically, right. Which is, which is a difference, but yeah, like coaches, GMs, we're all like, continuing to learn and hopefully get better. And I think Luke's um, openness to what he can do to improve, right. How he can, how he can help us leaning on his assistance. Um, just like I lean on my staff. Right. Um, that has been a big part of it. I think we've seen, you know, Luke uh, basketball royalty, right. He's yeah. playing the league, his dad, obviously he's been around the game forever. He knows so much about basketball. Um, but his, his ability, even with that to accept, um, you know, constructive feedback and try to build on that has been really good. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're seeing that in, um, in how he's approached the team this year. Um, he, he's definitely got, uh, a laid back demeanor as I think I do as well, but, uh, we're seeing like in games, like Luke is getting fired up now, even more than, than maybe even last year. And so it's fun to see. Is that, I mean, you're kind of making me, is that somewhat by request? Like I was going to ask you if, if there's any specific examples that you couldn't, might even be comfortable sharing, like the type of thing where it was just essentially constructive criticism. Like we would like to see this be handled differently. I mean, what, what types of things? Yeah, no, I think it's, um, yeah, not to go into specifics, but yeah, like it's, it's 
look, let's, let's, let's like look inward. Like where, like, where do you think that you have succeeded and what makes you who you are, but where can you get better? And right. he's been open to that. So I don't want to go into like the, all the nitty gritty, but um, he's been extremely, you know, open and supportive of, of that kind of relationship. And um, I think we've seen, you know, some really positive signs this year. And if I'm assuming if, if he didn't, you know, uh, kind of open that door to, to have that dialogue, then that would obviously be a problem. So, I mean, part of what you're highlighting is his willingness to, to have yeah, those talks, right? Yeah. And it's, 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 um, you know, obviously we've talked about my analytic background as well. Right. And, and being open on how we can incorporate, you know, some of those things. And so um, as well as, He's he he's got Rico Hines who does a lot of our player development and right. like how can he like use his his you know staff and our staff and everything he's done a great job I think of expanding all the resources that that he uses and so um, yeah like I think in any working relationship right the ability to um, you know like we said in our draft meetings like same with me and Luke to disagree strongly uh, with each other and go at each other and then come to a resolution and then go and and put it in action is, is really, I think what makes him special. Right. Uh, Rico, by the way, who I don't know, well, I say hello to him every once in a while, but man, whoever was responsible for the social media, the video y'all put out of Rico talking about stacking the days, like I was at home about to run through a wall, like, you know, and what was cool about it. And if you haven't seen it, you know, it's worth checking out. It's kind of just Rico talking to the guys and, and this motto and this theme of, just got to stack the days, you know, and it's a great life concept. Forget about hoops, like just stack up the days. And for me, I, I was looking at my computer screen going, man, like, I know this is essentially a hype video, but this is the first time in years that I had kind of assigned any sort of spirit, like a specific spirit to a King's group. You know what I mean? And it does seem like, you know, again, I know it's early, but it seems like there does, you know, we talk about culture all the time. It seems like with your players, with your coaches, with your group, there does appear to be, you know, some of the the makings of of a positive culture that have taken a, a minute to get going, but it does seem to be there. Yeah, it was, um, you know, step one is uh, is the summer, right? And I think we had a really good summer of work. We it was nice to have a you know a summer league championship. We were yep. we were four zero in the preseason. Um, all that's nice, and I think Rico did a fantastic job and now it's, you know, really on our guys to put into action in the regular season. We know we have to do that part, but you can't do step two without step one. Right. And, uh, the stacking days, uh, you know, the guys love it. Uh, it's just another like thing for guys to, isn't that kind of process over outcome, which is something that you believe in too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it is. It's like helps you get through the way, like last night. All right. You, you didn't pull the Pacers game out, yeah. but it doesn't mean you lose sight of the, of the process. Yeah. And it's really, it's, it's, there's no shortcuts, right? Yeah. It's you need to do your work today, yeah. right? Because you can't do tomorrow's work today. You can't do yesterday's work today. So do today's work today. And uh, and then when the times get tough, like you said, like we got to bounce back after, um, you know, a, a tough loss last night. Have you put in the work that you're ready to to go do that? And uh, I think we've done that. Um, you know, Rico and and Luke and their whole group have done a great job of that. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll see those rewards now during the season. All right, Monty. Uh, again, I'm looking at the recorder. 57 minutes. I told you uh, 30 to 45. So I, I broke all the rules. Before we go, I don't have any questions about Harrison Barnes, but he is playing his ass off. So I just feel like I should say his name and give him a little bit of a, a few flowers here. Um, you guys, you got some good things going. I know it's a long haul. Uh, you know, I'll be bugging you when you get closer to the, the trade deadline. Folks are going to be wondering what you do, but 
But uh, I guess I'll, we'll go out with this question. Just from a human standpoint, um, you've highlighted a bunch of positive stuff within the organization. You've painted this picture of how you guys function. Uh, as somebody who's in year two of this job and who has a little kid probably thought it would be pretty damn cool to to be part of this world. Are you enjoying yourself? Uh, you know, and, and where do you think that you and the rest of the, the group can take this thing? Yeah. First, thanks for bringing up HB, who's been unbelievable so far right. um, and uh, continues to grow his game, uh, even as he um, feels like he's been in the league forever, um, but continues to improve and is having another career year. But, uh, but yeah, we're uh, look, it's, we all live and die with every, with every game, just like all the fans and everybody. But, um, we all try to take a step back and enjoy the positives when they come. And, uh, we have to do that or this business will eat us alive. And so, um, yeah, it's been fun. We've had five, five times this year that we've got to celebrate and five times that we've commiserated and we're hoping for a lot more of the former, but, uh, are you a hard, like, do you take losses hard? What's your personal style? Are uh, are you steady? Uh, my wife would say, uh, I hope you win. So you're in a, a good mood tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, certainly initially, uh, I think as all of us do, but, uh, I do try to be pragmatic and talk about like, okay, like how after an hour or so, like, what can we actually do to, to solve this thing and, and to fix it? And, and same after wins, like let's celebrate, but then let's see where do we need to continue to be better? Where, where are we uh, trending in the right direction? So uh, we do have to get back and do our job eventually, but you also, we, we're in this business because we love to compete. We love basketball. And right. so you have to enjoy uh, the fun times uh, when they come. Have you gotten used to your name being part of the daily conversation of a, of an entire fan base? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think we talked when you first got the job that that's new. I mean, there's a lot of people in this league who have a lot of influence, but their names mostly are not part of the conversation. And, and now you become one of the faces of the franchise. But over time, I mean, has, have you gotten used to that? Uh, no, no, <laughs> uh, especially with fans in the building now. Uh, and, you know, you'll hear your name shouted from the stands and it's definitely uh, a little weird. Hopefully not with like an F in front of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, hopefully not. But, uh, you know, like I said, I my four catches in college, there was not a lot of people chanting my name sure. uh, there. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, I think it's, you know, it, it's fun. I think people are excited right now, um, but uh, but also want to keep reminding people how much of a group effort this is. I think people know that, you know, like you said, you're kind of the face of the, the franchise in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of work going behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, I do try to remind people that uh, – you know, while, while I joke with our group, like, you know, when we, when we do something good, I take all the credit. And if not, like I'll blame somebody else. Sure. But, uh, but in reality, we're all in this together and we're all, um, you know, we're all in line behind all the decisions. And, uh, like I said, commiserating after losses and celebrating together after wins. And, uh, you know, we have, we have a really good group. It's a lot of fun, but hearing my name, that's, it's been a little odd. Well, and then you made it even worse. You jumped on Twitter. I mean, your Twitter game's good, though. You, Ted Lasso influences. I'm, I'm digging that. Yeah. You know, your meme game is strong. I, like I said, the, the fact that there were no fans here yeah. in the building, but seeing them and we have an incredibly passionate fan base, as you know, yep. you've been here for, for a long time and seen it. And, uh, you know, trying to interact with them in some way, you know, being really kind of just taking last year getting into the job, trying to figure it out. And now like being able to feel a little more comfortable and get out there and interact with our, with our group. And, uh, you know, try not to let, as everybody warns me about Twitter, not trying to let the Twitter world, sure. uh, you know, eat me up, but, uh, don't, don't clap positive. back money. That's yeah. my only advice. <laughs> but use it as a positive to get out there and, and, uh, talk with our fans and 
um, you know, do what we can to, to interact with them. And now that they're in the building, that's even better. Good stuff. Thank you, man. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Sam. Yep. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.